The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. What's up, guys? Week number 14, and here is the theme for the week. We went, uh, We entered, starting on Thursday, we entered Bizarro Land. Week number 14 was the week of Bizarro Land, where everything went in the opposite direction uh, that it should have. And you guys will definitely see what I mean once I start rattling off these, once I start rattling off who won the games uh, this week, starting with uh, New England over Pittsburgh and finishing with the Giants over the Packers uh, on Monday night. It was an ugly, ugly week. We all suffered through it uh, together for a week that allowed for, I think, was it a hundred and... 20 points our winner was somewhere in the 60s so that's how bad it was yeah I, I i needed both of the monday night games to go correctly uh in order to just have 70 points uh this week uh because i like i said it was bizarro land I, I was losing games that i had no business losing and but the thing is you guys were losing them right along with me so this was a bad week for us all so uh, let's go ahead and, and dive in. This is the week 14 review episode of the fourth phase as we enter Bizarro Land. So let's get started. Welcome to the fourth phase. Presented by Bears Talk Underground and Sports Drink Media. And now, your host, Larry D. I wish I had some eerie, like, you know, goofy music to play uh, in the background uh, to, uh, you know, to, to, to show you guys the, uh, the extent of the ridiculousness that took place uh, in, the, uh, in the NFL uh, this week. And... Uh, you know, I, I was only able to salvage. Uh, there weren't many, actually, because I uh, I had 22 points resting on the Monday night games. I got them both wrong, as I think just about everybody did. I don't think anybody was out there picking Tennessee in Miami or, uh, you know, picking the, the, the Packers to beat the Chiefs at home last weekend only to lose to the Giants this weekend. But that's that is prime bizarro land right there so uh yeah i mean we we had the jets dominating the dominating the texans uh at home the uh five and sam seven tampa bay buccaneers are now the division leaders in the nfc south um and and the one place where we avoided bizarro land was baltimore 
who were in a tooth and nail fight with the Rams where the lead changed changed hands like seven or eight times throughout the game. And I know the Rams are kind of they've they've won three in a row. They're six and six. They're right outside the uh, playoff race. But the Baltimore Ravens have beaten two of the best teams in the NFC, in or at least they were at the time in the Seahawks and the Lions. I mean, not just beat them, but absolutely thoroughly ran through them, like thirty-eight to six, thirty-four to three. You know those kind of those kind of outcomes. And here they are fighting tooth and nail against Puka Nakua and the LA Rams. And it, uh, thankfully in overtime, things got corrected because I went all in on the Ravens and I damn near got that game wrong. And, uh, you know, the, you have the, the, the wackiness that was the Vegas and Minnesota game. Two minute warning in the fourth quarter. It's zero, zero. I watched like the last six minutes of that. It was the most painful thing I've ever watched in my life. And, I'm not a fan of either team, and it just, you know, it was insufferable. I mean, there were a few games that did avoid uh, bizarro land, like San Francisco beat up on the Seahawks, the uh, the Broncos beat the Chargers, and, and uh, you know, New Orleans beat Carolina. Thankfully, the team with the worst record in the league did not just pull a win out of their ass out of nowhere uh, this week. This would have been the week to do it, though. This would have been the week for Carolina and Bryce Young and, uh, interim coach Chris Tabor to get it together and uh, you know put up forty on the on the Saints in New Orleans to uh, get that second win of the season, but that didn't happen. So it's about the only thing positive that happened was selfishly for me and my Bears was that the uh, the the Steelers lost to New England, which virtually guarantees that Carolina will have the number one pick, which means the Bears are going to have the number one. The Bears. Uh, slash Carolina have a two-game lead on the number one pick right now because the Carolina's one and twelve, and thanks to Pittsburgh who've lost who lost to two and ten Arizona on Sunday and then two and ten New England on Thursday. Both of those teams are now three and ten, which means the Bears slash Carolina. There's a two-game gap between the number one pick and the number two pick with four games left to go it is yeah it's about the only positive thing pulled out of this well of course and the bears participated in bizarro land by not only beating but dominating the lions uh on sunday so i'm i'm not saying that uh i thought the bears could win but i didn't think they would you know but bizarro land was in full effect this weekend so that's what happened so all right, well, let's go ahead and get things started. And as we do in our review episodes, we begin with the All Out Blitz. <laughs> Before we get started, let's play a fun little game here. See how many times you actually hear this throughout this All Out Blitz because I, it will far outnumber the... That's how bad this week was. So let's go ahead and get this thing started. All-out blitz for week number 14. We start in bizarro Pittsburgh. After scoring 13 points in the last three games, the Patriots scored 21 in the first half to snap a five-game losing streak. Meanwhile, the Steelers have the honor of losing back-to-back home games to two different 2-10 and teams. Tampa Bay at Atlanta. Desmond Ritter accounted for 360 yards and two touchdowns for the Falcons on Sunday. But in the end, it was Baker Mayfield's 11-yard TD pass to Cade Otten 
that pushed the Bucks past Atlanta to win the game and take over first place in the NFC South. Houston at the Jets. We continue our trip in Bizarro Land as not only did the Jets' defense dominate the Texans, but Zach Wilson threw for 301 yards, two touchdowns, and no turnovers to give the Jets an easy 30-6 win over the Texans. Rams at Baltimore. Bizarro Land almost claimed the Ravens as they struggled at home in a back-and-forth contest with the Rams on Sunday. But Tylen Wallace's 76-yard punt return put that and the Rams to, to bed in their 37-31 overtime win over L.A. Carolina at New Orleans. Derek Carr and the Saints took advantage of an opportunity to keep their pace in their awful division by playing the Panthers on Sunday. The Saints only had 207 yards of offense, but it was more than they needed in their 28-6 win over Carolina. Living and breathing proof that the football gods have a sense of humor took place in Vegas on Sunday as the Vikings and Raiders played a full 60-minute game and only managed three points total when Minnesota's Greg Joseph hit a 36-yard field goal that didn't happen until after the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter. Seattle at San Francisco. Brock Purdy only completed 19 passes on Sunday, but they went for 368 yards and two touchdowns. McCaffrey, Debo, and Ayuk all went over 100 yards as the Niners dominated the Geno Smithless Seahawks 28-16. Denver at the Chargers on their way to a six-sack, two-turnover performance. The Bronco defense made it easy on themselves when they knocked Justin Herber out of the game in the second quarter. Russell Wilson was 21 of 33 for 224 and two touchdowns as Denver gets into the playoff race with their sixth win in seven games, 24 to 7 over the Chargers. Tennessee at Miami. In order to keep their place at the number one seed, all Miami needed to do was beat Tennessee at home where they're undefeated. Well, I guess no one told the Dolphins as they proceeded to blow a 14 point lead in the final three minutes to the four and eight Titans, 28 to 27. Green Bay at the Giants in our final trip to Bizarro Land. We have the Packers and Giants. The Packers were good enough to beat the defending world champions on national TV and home last week, only to struggle and lose to the Giants on every against to the Giants and everyone's favorite mama's boy, Tama DeVito, on national TV this week. Thanks a lot, guys. Mama Mia. And there you go. There's our all-out blitz for week number 14. And uh, I know that there were some, uh, some uh, you know, in there, but uh, there were only five of them uh, in the uh, 10 games that we had um, because um, I, you're also going to hear uh, a lot in the, uh, in the pick six here in a few moments because in five games in the pick six, I four out of five times. So yeah, it was, it was a rough week. I went six and nine, uh, this week. So yeah, it was, it was awful. So yeah. So let's go ahead and dive right into that and let's get this, uh, let's get this bizarro land week over with. Hopefully the ship will write itself, uh, in week 15 because it's been difficult enough making picks this week because, there's like a log jam of mediocrity this season because on on the AFC side, you have six teams at seven and six now. 
And on the NFC side, with the Packers losing, they're still the seventh seed at six and seven, but there are also like another four teams or so at six and seven and with the Bears and the Giants right behind them at five and eight now. So, I mean, it's there's this logjam of, uh, of mediocrity all fighting for the final playoff spots in their respective conference. And because teams like, uh, you know, the Texans and the Jaguars and things like that, they keep losing the, you know, everything's, everybody's kind of meeting in the middle, whereas there was a lot of top heaviness uh, going on in each conference in the AFC, especially the, you know, people keep losing games and, and teams like the Broncos and such keep winning games. So there's been this kind of meeting in the middle uh, and seven and six is like the record to have in the AFC uh, right now, it's like the the NFL offices are going to go nuts trying to explain tiebreakers for why some teams are in and others uh, are out. Because there are two seven and six teams that are in the playoffs right now, and then there are four outside the playoffs for various tiebreakers uh, and such. And that's very much what's going on uh, in the NFC uh, as well. So, yeah, let's go ahead and finish off Bizarro Land with our pick six and wrap this bad boy up. Pick six for uh, week number 14, Colts at Bengals to get things started. And uh, I think this one overall kind of avoided the whole uh, Bizarro Land theme for the week. And, and I know that the uh, the Colts had the the better record going in. They were 7-5, and five and uh, Cincinnati was 6-6. Six and six. And if you guys remember, during the preview uh, episode, this was the one that I was going back and forth on the most because I just the, the the Colts yeah they've won four in a row but they were against teams like uh, Tennessee and New England and uh, you know Carolina things like that it was it was not a pretty list uh, of victories uh, for the uh, for the for the Colts you know all they did was play the schedule that was laid out in front of them but they did not they did not have an impressive month of November. Uh, because they were just out there kicking ass, <laughs> it's like they were, they were knocking down the weak pins that were set up in front of them. Uh, the Bengals, on the other hand, um, lost their franchise quarterback to a, a season-ending wrist injury, and then proceeded to last week against one of the teams fighting for the top seed uh, in the AFC. Uh, their quarterback, Jake Browning, was like thirty-two of thirty-seven for some or something very close to that. Well, he did it again this week. 18 of 24, 275, and two touchdowns uh, in route to leading the, the, the Bengals to another win uh, this week. And I got, I got it right because I did actually swap my pick before the game started uh, on Sunday. I switched it from Indy to uh, the Bengals, and thank God I did because it was the only game I got right in this pick six segment. So let's dive into the game. Uh, it's like most of the fireworks took place in the second half, but in the first half, or actually I kind of take that back, most of the fireworks took place in the first half where this was still a ball game. It was a 14-14 tie uh, going into the halftime, but... It's like the Bengals jumped out in front uh, 14 uh, to nothing. You know, the, the Bengals got things going on their second drive. 
uh, when Browning hit a little dump off to uh, rookie running back Chase Brown, who made a move, found a seam, and 54 yards for a touchdown, capped off a very fast four-play 92-yard drive to put him up seven to nothing. Um, and then the Colts were having some special teams issues uh, on Sunday because their reliable kicker, uh, Matt Gay, who won them the game in Baltimore, if you guys remember, in week two, he had to hit like five or six field goals to uh, to win that game, hit the upright on a field goal attempt after a 10-play drive uh, for the Colts. He missed an extra point uh, later on uh in the in the in the first half in the second quarter when the Colts finally scored a, a a touchdown but um you know the Bengals took the uh their ensuing kickoff after the missed field goal deep in the Colts territory and we're actually going to settle for a field goal but a leverage penalty you don't see it much but it does happen but a leverage penalty by the Colts gave the Bengals a fresh set of downs at the Indy 7 yard line one defensive holding penalty and five plays later since he's up 14 to nothing when Joe Mixon runs it in from a yard out. So it's 14 nothing here early in the second quarter. And then the Colts answered with a 17-play, 79-yard drive where uh, Minshew found Mo Alley-Cox for a one-yard touchdown pass, and that's where Matt Gay hooked the extra point. So it's 14-6. to Second play of the ensuing drive, Ronnie Harrison gets picked off or picks off uh, Browning and runs it back for a touchdown, 36 yards, and the two-point try was successful because apparently Shane Steichen didn't trust his kicker anymore, tied the game at 14, and at the two-minute warning, the Bengals were up 14 and nothing. 29 seconds later, it was tied at 14. So, and then, you know, in the second half was all Bengals, they scored their they scored touchdowns on their first two drives uh, of the uh of the half the uh the first one was uh 11 yard TD pass from Browning to Tanner Hudson uh the second one was later on in the third quarter where Browning himself ran it in uh from a t- from a 1 yard out and um you know the Colts just kept shooting themselves in the foot they they muffed a punt uh, at one point, pen, penalties nullified a touchdown, you know, followed by an interception on that drive uh, as well. So it's just like Indy just could not win for losing in the in the second half because it was it was a twenty to nothing shutout by the Bengals in the second half as they cruised to a thirty four to fourteen win over the bang over this over the Colts, and um, you know it's. Now, like like I was talking about that seven and six logjam, here are two teams sitting at seven and six. Indy is just barely hanging on uh, to their playoff spot. I mean, I think they fell down a couple of notches. I think they were like like five or six, and now they're they're definitely seven. I think at this point, let me pull it up here uh, real quick uh, in the AFC. Yeah, they've dropped to seven, or actually, I think they were seven, but yeah. Yeah, I I what well, I don't remember actually. I think they were I think I think the Cleveland Browns leapfrogged them both cuz the Browns won as we'll talk about here in a few minutes. But the Browns won, they're 8 and 5. They're the 5 seed. Pittsburgh and Indy at 7 and 6 are 6 and 7 right now. And then at 8 you have the Texans who lost again. 
to the to the to the Jets as you heard in the all out thirty to six because they didn't lose they got their asses kicked out there you know it was like the Jets finally were the team that everyone thought they were going to be this season thirty points on offense dominance on defense but they're still five and eight you know it's like the the, the possibility of Aaron Rodgers coming back and that that clock is ticking by the way um, but anyway you got Houston at seven and six the Broncos at seven and six and. The Bengals and the Bills, who all won this weekend, the Broncos, the Bengals, the Bills, all won, are seven and six uh, as well. So, yeah, Buffalo is at the bottom because of their conference record. They're four and five. Um, the Bengals have a head-to-head, so they're even though they're three and six in conference, they're ahead of the Bills because of a head-to-head uh, tiebreaker. The Broncos are four and five in the conference, and the Texans, the reason they're in front of them all is that they have wins over Houston, or Houston has uh, a head-to-head win over the Broncos, and their 500 team as far as the conference records are concerned. So they're the first team in if somebody falls out. If you know if Indy keeps losing, Texans will be the first one to go in. And actually, I think they have a they have a that Week 18 matchup is actually between the the Colts and the Texans. So that could be interesting, but. Um, in the one game that I got right here in the pick six, the uh, and it's because I changed my pick at the last minute, the Bengals beat the Colts. <laughs> Jacksonville at Cleveland. Another game, you know, Jacksonville 8-4 and four atop the NFC or AFC South. Cleveland at 7-5 and five in the playoff hunt. Uh, you know, actually in the playoffs if the season were to uh, and today, it's like, I swear, they were the seventh seed, and by winning, they leapfrogged Pittsburgh and Indy to the to the five seed. Maybe they were the, the five seed all along, I don't remember. But anyway, in this ballgame, you have Trevor Lawrence. He actually did play, despite suffering the uh, high ankle sprain against the Bengals on Monday night uh, last week. He practiced and played uh, on Sunday. And from watching the game, I didn't really see how the ankle injury was hindering him. I never saw a moment where he was limping or where I felt like his mobility or anything like that was compromised uh, by the injury, but he had a terrible day uh, on Sunday. It was not a good day uh, for Lawrence. He had an uncharacteristic turnover, happy performance uh, in this one. And, uh, you know, Lawrence was uh, 28 of 50, so just barely over 50%. Uh, completions. He did throw three touchdown passes, but more importantly, he threw three interceptions. And um, yeah, I was going to say, because like, they fumbled the ball once as well, but that wasn't them. Or it wasn't him, I should say. So three interceptions for Trevor Lawrence, uh, you know, which kind of almost nullifies the three touchdown passes uh, that he threw uh, in this one. But the Browns draw first blood with their opening drive. And guess the defense, the Jags defense with their pants down. It's third and one. Uh, the Browns show a run-heavy look, like three tight ends. Everybody everybody is, you know, enclosed. You know, all 11 players inside the numbers there. And um, the, the, the Browns go play action, and Flacco was able to just loft it out to Njoku, who was wide open for a 34-yard uh, touchdown pass. And Jacksonville's first half was an absolute horror show. Okay, they had nine drives because there were a lot of punts in this game for 
for what the final score ended up being, 31 to 27. So you figure that's that's very much a back and forth. And the back and forth that was happening in the first half was punts because Jacksonville had nine drives in the first half, which is a lot for one half. And you got six punts, two interceptions, and one touchdown drive. But because the Browns outside of those two touchdown drives were equally mediocre, it was only 14-7 to seven, uh, at half because this is the game where the second half was all fireworks. You know, in the third quarter – was where we saw two teams capitalizing on each other's mistakes. The Jags fumbled to start the second half. The Browns turned that into a touchdown to go up 21-7. to Later, the Browns fumble, then Jacksonville scores off of that to make it 21-14. Then at the start of the fourth quarter, which was the, the, the last drive of the third quarter for the Jacksonville Jaguars, Lawrence throws his third interception of the game, and the Browns put that one in the end zone to go up 28 uh, to 14. Then Jacksonville responded by going nine plays for 75 yards. And, uh, you know, Lawrence found Parker Washington for a 19-yard touchdown pass, made it 28-21. Unfortunately, that's as close uh, about, about as close as Jacksonville would get because the Jags turnover on downs that the Browns used to kick a field goal to put the game out of reach. It was 31-21 at that point. The Jags add a, um, you know, basically a garbage time touchdown with under two minutes to go to make it 31-27. For some reason, I mean, I, I guess I understand the strategy, but I've never really seen anybody do it before. On those last two touchdowns, when the Jags made it 28-21 and when they made it 31-27, both times Jacksonville wanted to go for two. The first time they had some kind of penalty where the Jags ended up just settling for the extra point because uh, they had like a delay of game penalty on the two-point try. So it would have been uh, from the seven instead of from the two. So they just elected to kick the extra point. That made it 28-21. But when they scored again to make it 31-27, they actually went for two. And I'm guessing that the thought was if we get the – we make the two-point conversion, we're down by two, it would have been 31-29. to we get the extra, we get the onside kick. Then if we kick a field goal, we can win the game. Okay. I I get it. I understand it. But um yeah, that's putting a lot of faith in the onside kick, man. It just it was a lot. And of course it didn't work out because those things are such a low percentage uh deal. But uh Jacksonville came up short uh there. The Browns and Flacco win uh Win, win one uh, over the Jaguars. Because, I mean, here's here's what's bizarro land about this, was that the Browns and their defense couldn't handle the Rams uh, last week. And granted, the Rams were in a hell of a fight with the Ravens uh, on Sunday. But, you know, Cleveland should have won that game. And then they absolutely fell apart in the fourth quarter, only to come and face a team that's better than the Rams and win. So, I don't know, cause it would, which also leaves me with not knowing what to think about the, the Bears going into Cleveland next weekend with the Bears playing as well as they have, uh, you know, against the, the Lions especially. But, um, you know, the, the Bears defense is playing outstanding right now. They're going into Cleveland. It, it looks like they might give the job back to DTR. I'm not sure. 
because DTR had cleared protocol and was available to play on Sunday, but I saw him play one snap, like he went was under center on a, like a third and one or a fourth and one and got the first down, and then Flacco went back in the game. So I don't know what Stefanski's strategy is. Is he sticking with the veteran to make this playoff run because he's been in the playoff run a few times with the Ravens, won a Super Bowl uh, and everything, and DTR is just a rookie? Or are they giving the job back to DTR now that he's fully healthy? He'll have a full week of practice, not in concussion protocol, so that he can uh, play on Sunday. Personally, I'd rather see the rookie than the wily old veteran. Um, but, uh, you know, rookies are prone to make mistakes when they're under pressure and things like that. So we'll see. But, uh, yeah, I uh, I picked the Jags, and Bizarro Land said, yeah. Detroit at Chicago. Speaking of my beloved Chicago Bears, I, I put this game in the – pick six because as you know first as a Bears fan and also as a football fan I just wanted to know which one of those which Bears team was going to show up on Sunday was it going to be the team that had dominated the Lions for 56 minutes and had a 12 point lead going into the final four minutes of the game or was it going to be the team that could not score a touchdown against the Vikings last week or the you know the team that rolled over and and died in the last four games against Detroit, and um, happily for me, but not for my picks anyway, uh, the Bears were the team that dominated for the first fifty six, and there was a rematch of week number eleven. So it's only been three weeks since that first game, and this game very much went the way the first one did, with the Bears pretty much in control throughout from start to. Uh, from start to finish, aside from a bad second quarter where not only did Detroit uh, did the Bears allow Detroit to get back into the game, but they let them take it over and take the lead and the momentum into the half at 13 to 10. The Bears uh, won the first quarter 10 to nothing. We had, you know, two drives in the first quarter, scored on them both, and um, pretty much played keep away. With the football, because both drives were over five minutes long. I think the the Lions were like five plays and out on their first drive, and then their second drive finished the first quarter. And, um, it, you know, the second quarter got off to a good start for the Bears. Jalen Johnson intercepted uh, Jared Goff's pass on fourth down. Uh, it was, you know, the Lions went forward on fourth down. Jared Goff picks off. Or excuse me, Jalen Johnson picks off Jared Goff. He actually caught it this time because he dropped a pick six in the first game. But he catches it. And it was kind of like in this moment. This wasn't the moment where the momentum shifted. But it was the moment where things started going badly for the Bears. It was the moment directly after Jalen Johnson intercepted the ball. Uh, Eddie Jackson, uh, our other safety, um, our safety comes in and gets called for a block in the back uh, on the play because Johnson intercepts the football at about the 10, 15 yard line, runs it all the way to the 40. So we're looking at outstanding field position. We've turned the, the lines away with zero points. We've got all the momentum, but instead the penalty occurred at the 22 Yard line, 10 yards from the spot of the foul. The Bears are instead starting with the ball at their own 12. And 
That drive went horribly. We gave the ball back uh, to the Lions on that one. They go nine plays, 61 yards, and um, uh, Jameer Gibbs runs it in from 12 yards out, 10 to 6. And then at the end of the half, an 11-play, 53-yard drive uh, where Goff found Josh Reynolds from eight yards out for a touchdown to make it uh, 13 to 10 because Riley Patterson, their kicker, missed the extra point on the first touchdown. So it's like the second second quarter was an absolute disaster uh, for the Bears. And, and um, you know, it was, uh, it was bad. It was uh, turnover on downs. And the Bears, this the, this time it was the Lions that were playing keep away uh, with the ball because the Bears only had it twice in the second quarter. They went turnover on downs on the first one where <sighs> Luke Getze continues to baffle me with his constant, constant, you know, I don't want to say desire, but his constant need to take the ball out of Justin Fields' hands in these moments where he should be the one handling the ball. It was fourth and one where we're in uh, Detroit territory. It's too far for a field goal. And, um, you know, I, I really feel like Eberflus was definitely playing the analytics game uh, this week, or he was taking a page out of Dan Campbell's book at least. But fourth and one, and we're under center, and Instead of doing like an, an RPO where Fields can, you know, maybe try to run to the outside, make the pitch if he needs to, or just cut it up and, and get the yard, we just do a flat-out pitch sweep to DJ Moore. Now, granted, DJ Moore ran for a touchdown in the first quarter, the first drive of the game, but that was more of a, of a trick play. We faked a reverse. Um, uh, DJ Moore was the quarterback. We faked a, a reverse to Justin Fields, you know, and the players, the, the Lions kind of went with Fields on that one, leaving a wide-open lane down the sideline for D.J. Moore to run in the end zone untouched. This was not that. This was a down-set hike, pit turn around, pitched the ball to D.J. Moore, who ran into, you know, a defend, uh, Detroit Lions player who was waiting for him. So maybe it was uh, it didn't throw them off that D.J. Moore was the running back in the backfield. They just pitched it to him. He got touched. He got tackled for about a two-yard loss, and on that ensuing drive, that was the uh, that was the first touchdown, because that was the other thing was that the interception. This that was the drive after the interception. So that's where things went sideways. Was that even after the Bears made the interception? Yeah, we get backed into our own uh, territory after the penalty. The Bears still moved the ball fifty yards on on five plays. And then the fifth play was that fourth and one play where they decided to pitch it to DJ Moore. And that's where the momentum shifted was when the Lions stopped the Bears on that one. And then the ensuing drive, they went in for the touchdown. That was the Jameer Gibbs touchdown. We punt three and out in our worst drive of the game. Justin Fields went back to pass on two of those drives. He got hit on them both, sacked on one, hit on the other. And we ended up punting, and that's where the second touchdown drive came. So it was bang bang, just like that. You know, we were up ten nothing. Now we're down thirteen to ten, going into the half. But even though Eberflus is uh, not known for making halftime adjustments, they didn't. I don't know what they did, but 
they definitely fixed it. The Lions got shut out in the second half. Um, it was all Bears. Offense scored 18 unanswered points. Uh, and just to show you that it was our day, the Bears, in the similar situation as far as it, it was too far for a field goal and you didn't want to punt from like the 37 uh, or whatever it was. The Bears go for it on 4th and 13. So it's not a 4th and 1 situation. It was 4th and 13. The Bears go for it. And just to show you that the luck in Chicago may be turning around a little bit, the Lions jump, the Bears get the playoff, so it's a free play no matter what. And on this free play, Justin Fields finds DJ Moore wide open down the sideline for a 38-yard touchdown pass. That made it 20 to uh, third or 19 to 13 because Santos's extra point was blocked. He didn't miss it; it got blocked. But um, you know, there it was. Bang, touchdown on 4th and 13 of all things. And, um, you know, not only was it the Bears converted on 4th and 13 and got a touchdown, but I can't remember the last time that a Bears the Bears got a free play and then did something positive with it. That is, you know, usually one of those situations where, oh, you know, Cutler threw an interception uh, on the free play, but we get it back, so it's no harm, no foul kind of thing. No, we found a wide-open DJ Moore, who put a move on his guy, was wide open down the sideline for the touchdown. We go up 19 to 13. Um, and then in the uh in the fourth quarter, Jared Goff on the ensuing drive, Jared Goff fumbles the ball, fumbles the snap. TJ Edwards, Mr. Man on the Spot himself, who has two interceptions, who had two interceptions in the last two games against Minnesota and the first game. In Detroit, both of them were on deflections, so he didn't just take one out of the sky. The ball was in the air, and he was there to catch it, uh, kind of thing. Mister Johnny on the spot once again uh, wraps his arm around one of his teammates' legs, but also has the ball uh, at the same time. And uh, five plays later, Justin Fields runs it in uh, for a touchdown to make it twenty-five to thirteen. Now here's where this kind of sends a shiver down Bears fans. Spines. Now, granted, there was still 11 and a half minutes to go in the game, but we had a 25 to 13 lead, which was a 12 point lead. The same point differential we had on Detroit going into the final four minutes the first time around. And both teams missed an extra point, which means the score should have been 26 to 14, which is what it was three weeks ago in Detroit when the game went sideways on us. So you're sitting there, you're looking at this. It should be 26 to 14. Oh, man. Is is this going to happen? Thankfully, no. Because the Lions went three and out, or excuse me, they went turnover on downs on each of their next two drives. The Bears uh, sprinkled in a field goal. We got one final interception of golf by Tremaine Edmonds. He was hit as he threw uh, at the end of the game. Bears come out ahead 28 to 13. This is um, unprecedented in the Eberflus era, was that uh, we've won two games in a row for the first time uh, since 2021 at some point. And, uh, you know, you hate to be flippant with such a thing, but when you went 3-14 and 14 last season and lost the last 10 games of the year, then proceeded to lose the first four games this season, and then in the last nine games, the Bears are 5-4, and four, but there have been some pretty ugly performances in there. 
You know, all week I said, I absolutely think the Bears can beat the Lions. As, as terrified as I was of the first matchup, I was anything but scared going into this one. It was just all a matter of, can they actually pull it off? Or will they? Can they? Yes. Will they? I voted no going into it. I, just, I hate to say it. I, I, don't, I didn't trust them. I didn't trust them. Funny thing is, I'm probably going to trust them against Cleveland, and then the Cleveland defense will rip my offense to shreds. So I don't know. We'll have to uh, we'll have to see that. I, I smell low point, low confidence points on the Bears this weekend uh, against the Browns uh, for now. But you know, as much as I wanted to pick the Bears, like I said, the trust factor just isn't there yet. I'm, uh, you know, it's starting to turn, but. The other thing about this season is like any time the Bears have given us Bear fans hope, they've gone and crushed us, which means that we're going to have hope going into this because not only have the Bears won two in a row, not only are they playing outstanding defense right now. They absolutely shut Goff down. They picked him off three times uh, or you know three turnovers again. Three turnovers this week, four against the, the Vikings two weeks ago before the bye four against the Lions in that losing effort the first time. It's like the defense is not only, you know, playing well, but they're also getting takeaways, therefore giving the ball back to the offense. The schedule in front of us is not the most frightening game we have left is is coming this Sunday, and that's only because of the defense of the Browns. So I think think Denzel Ward might be healthy enough to play uh, this weekend, which is going to make things tougher. But, you know... Not only do the Bears have the Bears won two in a row, as you heard me mention earlier, at five and eight, they're only a game back of the last team of the Packers, who are five and seven or six and seven right now. Now, granted, the Bears are like the thirteenth seed because of tiebreakers and everything, because our conference record is not great. I think it's four and five or something like that. Maybe even three and six, but yeah, if we went out and we go nine and eight, which is you know sounds like an impossibility, but at the same time, with the schedule in front of us, it's not that impossible. We get past Cleveland and we go six and eight. Our next three games are at home against the Cardinals, home against the Falcons, and then against on the road in the rematch against Green Bay, which is a game that I want more than I want to breathe air for the rest of my life. It's just, we got to have that game. So it's it's not out of the realm of possibility, especially in the NFC, that the Bears could run the table and make the playoffs at 9-8. and eight. So 9-8 and eight is about where I thought the Bears might land with their final record this year, and I'll be damned if we start 1-6 and six and find a way to do it. That would just be bananas. So anyway... I picked the Lions because I didn't trust the Bears. I thought they could do it, but uh, I'll happily take the L on this one. (laughs) Buffalo in Kansas City. All in all, this is a game where the defenses were beating the offense for the majority uh, of the contest. And for the third year in a row, Buffalo is playing in Kansas City uh, against the Chiefs where they won the last two. But in I think both of them were early season contests or something like that I think one was a Monday night game or a Sunday night game something something like that but Buffalo had come away victorious um you know that was actually the reason why I picked this game for a pick six because it's like going into it 
you know, Kansas City, who spent the majority of the season as the top seed in the AFC, has like lost three of their last five uh, in this uh, going into this game. Um, Buffalo, with uh, their new offensive coordinator and Joe Brady, seem to have kind of uh, figured this thing, figured things out uh, on offense. And, uh, you know, scoring 30 points against the Jets, scoring 31 uh, in a losing effort to the, uh, or 34, I should say, against, in a losing effort to the Eagles um, before their bye week this past week uh, and everything. But the Chiefs haven't looked like themselves, whereas, you know, they're explosive and they're dynamic, they're electric uh, on offense. Pat Mahomes is getting growing more and more frustrated, which we'll talk about here uh, at the end. But uh, for two teams known for their offensive prowess, both were pedestrian at best on the offensive side of the ball uh, on Sunday. You know, Buffalo had back-to-back touchdown drives in the first half but got Kansas City back in the game when Allen, continuing his interception streak, resulted in the Chiefs' only points uh, of the first half. Um, Mahomes found Rasheed Rice for a touchdown uh, to make it 14-7 to at the half. Then... The Bills got a field goal to start the second half. They go up 17-7. to And then the Chiefs in the third quarter look like their old selves. Mahomes is throwing the ball around to multiple targets. He found Kelsey for two big catches, one for 16, another one uh, for 22. And, um, you know, finished off the drive with a touchdown to make it 17-14. to Later, the Chiefs tied it at 17 after a drive stalled in the red zone early in the fourth quarter. So what was 17-7 to is now 17-17 for the majority of the fourth quarter. Uh, And after trading punts in the fourth quarter, Buffalo puts together a 12-play drive um, that resulted in Tyler Bass hitting a 39-yard field goal to take the lead with a minute 54 to go. So just after the two-minute warning, they hit that field goal. On the ensuing drive, and this is all that's been talked about for for all day today and uh, and all that kind of stuff. It's where the controversial moment comes in. Second and 10 at the Buffalo 49. Mahomes finds Kelsey for a big pass play. Would have got them in field goal range to at least tie uh, and everything. But they would have been in great position. But the former high school, the former high school quarterback laterals it back to Gadarius Tony, who runs it in for what would have been the go-ahead touchdown with maybe a minute 10 to go uh, in the game. But... Kadarius Tony, who scored the touchdown, was flagged for being lined up offsides. So the touchdown was nullified. Three plays later, the Chiefs turn the ball over on downs. Buffalo wins it 20-17. to So what was the controversy? The controversy was the, the, the penalty got called. And I saw a video online uh, today. Dan Arlovsky, the analyst for ESPN, said that um, he went back and, and watched the game, checked out the All-22, and uh, Tony was lined up offsides like that four times, including that one at the end of the game. But So three times prior to that, Kadarius Tony lines up on the ball. It's supposed to be like a shade back and everything. Like he, And the funny thing is, nobody in Kansas City isn't saying that he was lined up offsides. What their beef is, is that, number one, it wasn't called at any other time during the game. Number two, the side judges or the line judges weren't telling Tony he needed to go back. But when you go back and you look at it, 
Tony wasn't checking with the refs to see if he was offside. He was merely signaling to the refs that he was the wide receiver that was going to be on the line of scrimmage because that's part of every formation that uh, NFL offenses run is that there's generally a a wide receiver at the end of the line of scrimmage that's going to cover up the tackle, making him ineligible uh, and everything. But um, because you see the replay, somebody, I think a fan from in the crowd shooting directly down the line of scrimmage, you see Tony come up to the line. He looks to the sideline and just as quickly looks inside uh, to look for the snap of the ball. I mean, he's offside. Uh, you don't see the referee that's at the end of the, the line of scrimmage telling him or signaling for him to get back or anything like that. Tony never looks back uh, at the referee again. The play gets off, and uh, you know the, the craziness that happens with Kelsey and that heads-up lateral making it an easy touchdown uh, for Tony, it's all nullified. And it's like Kansas City is in a spot where it's like, okay, maybe he was lined up off sides, but you can't call that in that moment. And not realizing what hypocrites it makes them sound like because that's how they won the Super Bowl last year. In that game, in the final moments, final minute of the game, uh, James Bradbury of the Eagles gets called for that pass interference call that gives KC a fresh set of downs in field goal territory. And, you know, they kneel on the ball three times, they kick the field goal, they win the Super Bowl. Also, yes, it was a defensive hold or a pass interference, whatever it was, but you can't call a ticky-tack foul like that in that moment of the Super Bowl. It actually was something I was extremely pissed about. It was like this great game, this battle between these two teams, it's going to be completely forgotten because of this penalty called in this particular moment. It virtually nullifies what a great game this was because all anybody's going to talk about is this Bullshit penalty that was called in the final minute that virtually handed the game to Kansas City. And now here's Kansas City complaining about what they thought was a ticky-tack foul, even though it was a legit call. It's like nobody in the NFL office is investigating whether or not the guy should have made the call. It's like, if anything, they're investigating why it wasn't called earlier in the game. Because like Dan Orlovsky found out, there were three prior instances in the football game where... Tony was lined up exactly the same way in the exact same spot. So, yeah, we'll see what comes of this, if anything. But uh, in the end, for the third year in a row in the regular season, the Buffalo Bills have uh, Kansas City's number. And in, in these games where I thought that the Buffalo Bills would be done, they would absolutely be done, um, you know, they're right back in it because they've been winning while other teams, like – like Houston, uh, have been losing. Like I said, there's this logjam kind of meeting at the meeting in the middle. Uh, they're one of six teams in the AFC now at seven and six. Kansas City, who was riding high in the AFC, is now eight and five, just barely hanging on. They've got a one game lead on the Broncos in the AFC West at this point. I mean, could you imagine the Broncos at one point were the joke of the NFL? Gave up seventy points to the. Uh, Miami Dolphins, you know, were a one and four, one and five team, just like the Bears. They've won six of seven. They're seven and six, only one game back in their division. Wouldn't that just be the all-time kick in the balls for the for the Broncos to start one and four, one and five, and somehow manage to win the AFC West? I mean, talk about Sean Payton 
and you you won't be able to his his chest will walk into the room 10 minutes before he does like how how puffed out that guy's chest will be if the uh if the Broncos manage to pull this off but the the Chiefs seem to be in some kind of spiral uh right now you know and especially they seem to be coming apart by how poorly they reacted to what happened on Sunday they've lost 3 out of their last 4 you know that one to the Eagles they beat the Raiders they lost last Sunday night to Green Bay they beat Buffalo or lost to Buffalo on Sunday. Thankfully for them, they play the Patriots and the Raiders the next two weeks, so they should be 10-5 and five going into their uh, rematch with Cincinnati on Week 17. But, uh, you know, for as shaky as they've been on the offensive side of the ball, the defense can only do so much, and uh, unfortunately for them, it wasn't enough to, uh, to get it done this week because the Bills beat the Chiefs. <laughs> Final game of our pick six, Philly at Dallas, the big NFC East matchup. And uh, 10 and 2 Philly coming off their loss to the 49ers uh, last week. Uh, 9 and 3 Dallas at home, where they're undefeated. They've had 10 days to get ready for this one after their uh, Thursday night matchup and their shootout with the Seahawks uh, last week. But um, so they were six and zero coming into this one. The Cowboys continue their home dominance right out of the gate with a ten play seventy five yard drive capped off by a CD Lamb uh, touchdown catch from uh, Dak Prescott, of course. And um, you know the legal the Eagles look to be answering that drive. They were moving the ball themselves, but self inflicting wounds such as penalties and a fumble that ended the drive, put an instant stop to that. And then the rest of the first half, the Eagles only had the ball three times, and or actually the, the Eagles only had the, the ball three times, period, in the first half, and the result was fumble, field goal, field goal, whereas the Cowboys scored on every drive in the first half, three touchdowns, one field goal, so they were up 24-6. to six. And it, pretty, it didn't get any easier uh, than that, the Eagles also fumbled to start the second half as well. The offense never got anything going as the Cowboys were all over it all night long. Uh, the only Eagles, the only touchdown scored by the Eagles in the second half was a scoop and score in the third quarter by Jalen Carter, of all people. 42-yard touchdown uh, in that game. But, um, you know, the Eagles on offense went uh, fumble, punt, Turnover on downs, fumble. That was their second half uh, in that one. They still managed 325 yards of offense. They were four for nine on third down, which is actually pretty good. But they still had 10 penalties for almost 100 yards uh, in penalties and three turnovers. So Philly beat themselves as much as the Cowboys did. I mean, kudos to the Cowboys for forcing a lot of those mistakes. But Philly has to be pissed about the effort they gave uh, in this one. They, They never got things going off the ground. And like I said... Dallas deserves a ton uh, of credit for that. Mike Parsons and the defense, they were on it and, uh, you know, weren't allowing those big plays. I mean, because, you know, the only offense that they generate in the first half were field goal drives. They had to settle for field goals. They were able to move the ball, but it was a bend but don't break in the first half, only allowing the six points. And then in the second half, the, the only points the Eagles score were on defense. So, the, the you know, the Cowboys really shut it down. Uh, on offense or on defense, I should say, 
and really got after the Eagles. You know, Hertz was 18 of 27 for 197 yards, but no touchdowns uh, in this one, no tush push or or anything. The offense didn't score a touchdown in this one. Like I said, it was only defensive uh, touchdowns. Uh, Prescott was 24 of 39 for 271 uh, and two touchdowns. Um, C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup both with the touchdown catches uh, in this one. Yeah, it was uh, utter domination. You know, I I, I thought that uh, Dallas had a shot to win the game. I thought Philly would win, which is why, you know, what are you going to do? But, uh, you know, I was like, I don't think this is an upset by any stretch when a 9-3 and three team beats a 10-2 and two team. It's, it's not an upset. Uh, it evens the season series at uh, at one and one. So now it's going to come down to tiebreakers and division record uh, for these two teams. And uh, we'll see how it all shakes out because I think each of them is their only loss in the division this year. So, you know, and, and of course, now Dallas, now, now Dallas is in first place in the East. They're not the one seed because the 49ers won and they're 10 and three and they've got the tiebreaker over Dallas and Philadelphia. But um, yeah, Philly is uh, three and one in the division. Dallas is four and one in the division. So Philly started the weekend as the one seed and because of their loss, now they're the five seed. They're a wild card team now. So yeah, they're the five seed and um <laughs> This is the buzzsaw that the Buccaneers are going to run into if they hang on to first place. They're going to host the Eagles in a playoff game. <laughs> Should be a goddamn bloodbath if that happens right now. But yeah, it's uh yeah, it's 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 uh it's interesting. So, but yeah, the Eagles are 6 and 2 in the conference. Dallas is 7 and 3, so they're just eking out uh over the tiebreakers over Philly. Uh, right now, so yeah, seven and three in conference to six and two. Yeah, actually, that would be a little bit better, wouldn't it? But strength of schedule is a little. No, it's that's in Philly's favor as well. They just got the based on percentage in division. Yeah, it's the division record that's doing it for Dallas right now. Four and one in the division versus three and one. So the Eagles have two more games. Left in the division, the Cowboys only have one. The Cowboys are still undefeated, and their margin of victory at home is bananas this year. We talked about it going into that uh, Seahawks game where they had won five games, like a combined score of like 41 to 10 or something crazy like that. And, uh, you know, granted the Seahawks scored their fair share of points uh, in that one, but Philly was a 33 to 13 win. For them, so another twenty point win is like. Wouldn't this be a great year to be a Dallas Cowboys season ticket holder? Every game you went to was a, you know, of the six games, seven games you've seen in at home this season, you've had six blowouts and a shootout. So you haven't been to a boring game yet because your team has massacred everyone, and the one team they didn't massacre was a shootout where they had to win the game late on. So yeah. This would have been a really fun year to be a Dallas Cowboys season ticket holder. But, yep. So the NFC playoff race, San Francisco is now the one seed at 10-3. and three. Dallas is number two right now because they have 
leapfrog the Eagles to be in the first place team in the NFC East. Lions still hanging on to the two-game lead in the NFC North at 9-4. and four. Tampa Bay, the de facto winner of the NFC South pillow fight at 6-7. and seven. Right now, I mean, have we had a first-place team hang on to first place for more than a friggin' week in the NFC South this year? It's bananas. Six and seven, they're in the playoffs right now as the division winner. So right now it's shaping up that for the second year in a row, the NFC South is going to send someone to the playoffs with a losing record. Philly at 10-3 and three is the five seed now. Minnesota hanging on to the six seed at 7-6 and six with their epic 3 nothing win over the Raiders on Sunday. And then Green Bay, despite losing to the uh, Giants on Monday Night Football at 6-7, and seven, have the tiebreakers over everybody underneath them. They're in the playoffs right now at the seventh seed. But the Rams are on their heels at six and seven. Seattle's at six and seven. Atlanta and New Orleans are all six and seven. And then one game behind them, the Giants and the Bears at five and eight. So, yeah. Very interesting situation as one, two, three, four, five teams are at six and seven. One of which is the seventh seed in the division in the conference in Green Bay. And then the Rams, the Seahawks, the Falcons, the Saints, also at six and seven, right on their heels. So the playoff race for those final spots in each conference are heating up. So because in the AFC, Pittsburgh and Indy are six and seven at seven and six. And Houston, Denver, Cincinnati, Buffalo, all at seven and six. Uh go for the 8, 9, 10, and 11 seats right now. So things are definitely going to pick up. Every win is important now. Nobody has a comfortable, uh, you know, path into the playoffs. I, mean, I think if you go back like three, four weeks, there's a deep cutoff after the playoff teams, but especially in the NFC, but not anymore. Not anymore. This is going to be a, an interesting fight uh, to the very end. But uh that's going to do it, guys. A six and nine week in the Pick'em standings for your beloved host and uh, 53 whopping points. And we'll see where that puts me uh, in the standings when we come back on Thursday for the week 15 preview. It's 16 games. Everybody plays every week till the season runs out. And I was just looking at the schedule uh, during the Monday night games. And right now we're looking at four games in the pick six. I'll see if I change my mind, um, but it was just four games that I found interesting enough to feature. So we'll have a supersized all-out blitz on Thursday if everything uh, holds out. So come back on Thursday for the Week 15 preview. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the fourth phase, so we will see you next time.